So if there's the role for augmented intelligence in medicine, what is the role of AI in medicine and what is the role of the physician in medicine overall? And if we think into the future, um, are the two players, AI and uh, healthcare providers, complementary or are they overlapping to a large extent? Well, I'm, I'm in the camp to complementary. If you think the software is so wonderful, yeah, then we can just stop training doctors and nurse practitioners and PAs. But the reality is that I think we're always going to need good physicians and good physicians are going to be defined by how they use information and also how good their hands are. How would you revolutionize skincare diagnostics? By putting an AI in the palm of every patient's hand so that they can make the diagnosis by themselves? By giving doctors cutting-edge diagnostic and educational tools? Why not both? Hi, my name is Jeff and this is How It's Met, the podcast where we chat with people shaping the future of healthcare as we know it. On this podcast, we chat with venture capitalists, healthcare leaders, and occasionally founders of startups which have been named by Tim Cook of Apple as the foremost leaders of digital healthcare. This time around, we rejoin a conversation with co-founder and CEO of Visual DX, Dr. Art Papier. Last time around, we learned a little bit about how Dr. Papier forged his path into dermatology and into his company as we know it now. And this time, we rejoin him to learn about how he hopes to reshape the world of dermatology diagnostics the world over. Let's get started. It seems like that was a pretty laborious process to build a high quality uh, medical imaging database. Uh, but the other part of the phrase that uh, Visual DX really brands itself on is equity in medical imaging. Why is equity in medical imaging so important to the company? Um, yeah, bias and in information, right? Um, it's just readily apparent. And, you know, I, I had a medical student work with me, Toby, back in. Um, 2006, and we published a paper called Disparities in Dermatologic Resources. And we had, I had the Toby go through every leading book at the time and count the balance of images, light skin versus dark skin. And we just had objectively, we had a measure of how little teaching and training that was going on on diagnosing and understanding disease in people of color. And so it, it, I don't know why it's always bugged me. It just bugged me. It, you know, our, our companies are very humanistic company. So we're doing, uh, since our inception, we've been doing a lot of good in the world. And right now we have a project, our second project with the Gates foundation, it involves neglected tropical diseases with, um, work that started in Botswana and, you know, contacts throughout Africa. And, um, and then we're working on a project. Uh, that's gone very, very well with the federal government around MPOX, you know, what we used to call monkeypox, which affects, you know, people that are discriminated against too. And so, you know, when you think about medicine, you think about what's really difficult. Um, you look at patients that don't have access. They still don't have insurance. They don't have the money to pay for the therapies and there's all this bias. And so. You know, I've always thought these people are getting not only less access to doctors and less 
um, therapeutic uh, therapies that are accessible to them, but the people taking care of them really don't understand the dynamic enough uh, of what patients that have been discriminated against. So it's really just kind of always annoyed me. And we have a company now of 80 people that love this mission are trying to improve care for people in need. <laughs> Overall, I think that's an absolutely like, great take to, to see how we can improve access to care and quality of care. That's something that I deeply agree with. But to, to go back to the imaging database, uh, my initial assumption would be that with a high quality imaging database, a company would go for a uh, algorithm to recognize different lesions and to allow for a uh, better, more accurate diagnosis. But instead, your company brands itself as a clinical decision support system or that its product does that. Can you explain the thinking behind this branding or this differentiation from what I assume the company would have done with its core asset? Yeah, well, we, you know, we have a product called Derm Expert where we're using machine learning and we have exceptional research going on in using this corpus of imagery to develop machine learning algorithms. So I don't know if you've seen it, but you can open our professional tool and do machine learning and be guided through it. Now, we don't brand the company as just an AI machine learning company. And of course we're working on large language models and we're working in this field of machine learning for five years, but solving the problem is not going to be solved just through machine learning. Yes. I believe you'll see in the next few years, incredible algorithms, uh, created for telling you if the mole is a normal nevus mole or it's a melanoma with a high degree of confidence. And similarly for other conditions, there's already, you know, uh, applications that are approved for diabetic retinopathy that are more accurate than ophthalmologists. So these binary questions, is it this disease or not? You're going to see rapid advances and you're already seeing it in radiology. So the visual specialties, uh, not just derm, but radiology and ophthalmology are just taking off with machine learning. But as I said, when we are talking about system one and system two, it's not always system one. And a picture is not always system one. And I always use the example of a patient comes in to see a dermatologist and has, you know, pink spots scattered all over their body. And, you know, the non-dermatologist would call it a maculopapular rash. And a dermatologist would get offended and say, look, they have an exanthematous or morbilliform eruption. And what's the... What's the um, diagnosis? They show you the picture or the patient comes in with pink spots and you say they have a exanthematous eruption. I can't tell you what the diagnosis is. I need to know, did they take amoxicillin last week? Did they travel overseas? They travel to the Caribbean. Do they have a viral infection? Do they have mono? Do they have a sore throat? What did, you need to ask other questions. You need to put the whole thing together, right? It's not just a blank moment, right? So obviously you can feed the history into the computer too, and the image into the computer and start to get, you know, a good differential. And that's where we're moving, right? But when you're talking about hundreds of diseases in 2023, there's no algorithm that can 
statistically be accurate enough that you can go and, and market that as diagnostic. That would be unfair because then doctors would over rely on it. Patients would over rely on it and think that it's right all the time. You can do that for one or two diseases with confidence, right? Like the algorithm, machine learning can say yes or no, this looks like it's a brain tumor. Yes or no, this looks like lung cancer on the CT to aid the radiologist. But when you're talking about hundreds of diseases, just take a picture and expect the software to accurately and reliably give you the answer for hundreds of diseases. I don't, I'd be impressed if somebody could show me that doing that highly reliably today mm -hmm. without error. I'm to so argue at least today, it's augmented intelligence. Can I give you a tool? Can I give you a tool that makes you much better than you are practicing without the tool? Okay. I mean, to, to build on that conversation, uh, a product that Visual DX has spun off is ASA, ISA. How, do, how do you pronounce it? ASA. ASA. Um, so for context for the audience, it's an AI patient-facing symptom checker. Um, so your company is already moving in that direction in addition to the machine learning work that's already being done. So if there's the role for augmented intelligence in medicine, what is the role of AI in medicine and what is the role of the physician in medicine overall? And if we think into the future, um, are the two players, AI and uh, healthcare providers, complementary or are they overlapping to a large extent? Well, I'm, I'm in the camp to complementary. If you think the software is so wonderful, yeah, then we can just stop training doctors and nurse practitioners and PAs. But the reality is that I think we're always going to need good physicians and good physicians are going to be defined by how they use information and also how good their hands are. I mean, you don't want to go to a surgeon that has no manual dexterity. I mean, you need somebody who has great eye hand coordination that's laying their hands on you to do a procedure. And of course, then they'll be robot assisted surgery, et cetera. But we'll just keep getting better and better tools. You know, like carpenters started with a handsaw and then you got to like circular saws and then you got to, you know, incredible table saws that you can take that fence and dial it to one thirty-second of an inch and know that that board is going to be cut precisely at one thirty-second of an inch. And you, you couldn't do that with a handsaw, right? So tools are what humans create tools. And in medicine, we've been slow to create useful tools, right? And our thesis at Visual DX is that useful tools in medicine are not just lists of words that we have to figure out what's the balance of the words, the graphics, and the images, the, and the machine learning, the large language models to come together to create a unified patient experience that involves the patient as part of the loop. Because we know that people, I shouldn't even call them patients, people are going to go to Google, they're going to go to ChatGPT, they're going to put their symptoms in, they're going to wonder is ChatGPT correct, um, and often ChatGPT will be more correct than their doctor maybe, right? So you got an asymmetry there. And so it's, it's a forcing function in a sense that these great tools are going to be out there for patients because if, if your patient comes in and knows something from the internet, um, it can be embarrassing. Now, I'll tell you a story that's really interesting. So years ago, I had a resident, Samer, and uh, a child come in the exam room 
brought in by the mother and my resident Samer says to me, we got this child in exam room sex that has, um, hair loss and, and being treated for ringworm of the scalp by the pediatrician. So I said, okay, let's go in the exam room and see the patient. So we go in the exam room to see the patient. Say hello to the mother, a teenage sister of the boy was standing next to the mother against the wall. And so I say, Sam, let's say hello to the boy. We examine the scalp and all these pustules around the scaly plaque, which is a sign of a complication of ringworm of the scalp called carrion, K-E-R-I-O-N. So immediately I say to Sam, I say, look, there are pustules. This is a carrion. And as soon as I say that, the mother goes ballistic, turns to the teenage daughter and says, you see, that's what I said it was, but she wouldn't listen. And I turned to the mother. I say, what's going on here? They said, and Sam rolls on the rolly chair back to the computer, right? And I'm saying, you know, I'm very interested in information and medicine, computers and medicine. Tell me what happened. Because it was obvious she was on, on the internet. And she says to me, well, and I say to her, do you work in healthcare? And she said something like, I, I work as an um, administrative assistant or something in the cancer center. And when, when, my, when my boy's sick, I'm going to be looking things up on the internet. And by then, Sam was in front of the computer. And I'm saying, well, what, what happened? She said, well, he had a rash on his face. And the doctor felt it was ringworm of the face, gave treatment for it. It got better. Two months later, his hair started falling out. I went back to the doctor and the doctor said correctly, there's now fungus in your scalp. A month later, still not getting better. Takes the child back. The doctor, pediatrician says, keep taking the medicine, right? Child's still not getting better. So that's when she goes to the internet and searches ringworm of the scalp, reads in WebMD, that a complication is a carrion, Google's carrion and ends up on our patient facing site called SkinSight. Because what happens, Samer goes over and Google's carrion and Google at the time, SkinSight, our patient facing site was on the first page of results for carrion. So, so he tells the monitor to the mother, mother says, that's where I was. I said, Sam, you know, people diagnose through telemedicine easily, but I think we have the first case of creating software for patients where we helped them figure something out. It was a total coincidence that this mother ended up in our exam room after we created this website and that she had landed on this website. So, so what happened was she prints the hand, we have an ability to print the page. So she prints the page and she takes the kid back uh, to the pediatrician, which took a while to get in. And says, I think my boy has a carrion. And the pediatrician says, who's the doctor here? And so the mother says, I'm done. I don't, I want my, my boy to see a specialist. She says, I'm done. And it takes six weeks to get in to see us because they're busy academic dermatology practice. So six weeks later, she comes with the child. I come in the exam room. It's a system one blank moment for a dermatologist. And we go, it's a carrot. Right? So in the future, you know, Ace, I don't know. I don't know if Asa is trained for the scalp yet. I have that memorized. Like we, we cover like 
200 diseases and it's supposed to educate and guide just like skin sight. And so this balance of, you know, and then the software could be wrong, right? And then the, the parent or the patient comes in and with their ream of internet handouts and they're, they become fixated that they have this disease that they don't have and they don't trust the doctor. So it's a double-edged sword. You want well-informed patients. We all want well-informed patients, but we've all experienced these patients that are locked into the wrong thing. And now, post-COVID, we have a complete diminution in trust where a lot of people don't trust their doctors anymore. They don't trust public health anymore. So this double-edged sword of the internet is, is both a great thing and also something that's actually making doctors' lives more miserable when it's wrong, right? So there's fantastic challenges, and you'll, your generation will have to fix it all. So in the context of AI being made available in the form of ASA, for example, to patients where there can be accurate diagnoses for very specific niches of medicine, what is the role of the physician in this augmented intelligence model? Uh, more and more information will be shared with patients directly, and they are going to come to their clinicians with their interpretation of the information that they received. And the clinician is going to have to educate and inform and balance the information that people receive through the resources they use. And it's going to be a lot of work to transform the system from one where I'm paternalistic and I say, you have this, you're the patient, trust me. Right? Because that just doesn't work anymore. You, especially when you have really well-informed patients and they have a lot of information and you don't, I say as a generalist, again, it's a really hard job being a generalist, right? You have to have humility. You have to be able to say, I don't know, let's look it up together, right? I have some professional resources. Let me show you how I solve this problem. So I think the way we solve problems, and this is the way we designed ASA, is we designed ASA actually to recap kind of recapitulate what, how doctors solve problems. So it actually shows you the type of lesion before it gives you the list of possibilities. And so you're double checking, you're understanding that your rash is being put into a category. So we're really trying to live up to this idea of like AI that guides and teaches. And it's not going to be good enough just to have, oh, the AI says this, totally trust it, done. The autopilot always works, right? At least not in the next few years. I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll be so great that the only thing doctors are doing are the procedures. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it seems like from that answer that the role of the clinician, or at least the, the, the generalist, uh, is to work alongside the patient who has access to more and more expert knowledge to arrive on a diagnosis and a treatment plan in a more cooperative manner than prior, correct? Correct. Okay. I would, I would agree with that. I'd say collaboration, the clinician will be the expert if they have expert tools, but if they don't have the expert tools and the patient has some expert tools, there's going to be this asymmetry in the conversation that is going to really hurt trust between the patient and the doctor. 
the doctor is going to have to be able to handle the information the patient has. So then to build on that, if there is that thrust, uh, threat of trust being fractured or uh, further, I guess, eroded, just even based off of like previous current events, um, why did the company, why did Visual DX uh, choose to focus on SkinSight and ASA as consumer-facing tools? Well, we have this competency and we know there's a need. And we just looked at what was out there and we thought we could do so much better than, you know, other websites on handle skin. And we have this leadership in dermatology that I think is cross-cutting, not just for patients, but for medical students. Uh, we've created this fantastic website. It's now in its fourth generation called Learn Derm. That's for free. And we have students around the world using it. And we're currently translating it into other languages. And so we have this leadership in, in dermatology. And when people ask me, what do you do best at visual DX? I would say, I would not just say dermatology because, you know, the term dermatology is very pejorative. It means kind of to a lot of people, it means acne and psoriasis and warts and skin cancer. To me, it means the ability to look at a rash and diagnose, right? Like what really those our residents get out of dermatology training is to be able to diagnose some internal diseases, serious rheumatologic disorders or infectious disorders. So we've been very, very focused on not just dermatology, but infectious disease. Now you can get in visual DX, a differential diagnosis across medicine, but the, the sweet spot for us is infectious disease. And another three hour conversation would be about how climate change is affecting infectious disease and the movement of disease around the world and into this country. So, you know, there's just an article in USA Today this week about endemic leishmaniasis in America, that there, there have been cases reported in JAMA about um, patients that had not traveled that have leishmaniasis. So that sand fly that can transmit leishmaniasis is probably on the move. And similarly with ticks, I mean, Rocky Mountain spotted fever is used to be mostly in the Carolinas, North Carolina, South Carolina. Now the, the ticks are moving, mosquitoes are moving. And so this area of designing and de developing databases that can capture the range of diseases and help with differential diagnosis and context. Um, so that's what's so powerful about the work we're doing is not just, just to think this is a single machine learning solution of an image of dermatology, but we're really developing a platform to consider how do you diagnose these diseases that range from rare diseases to variants of common diseases. Mm -hmm. To, to kind of wrap up the conversation here, visual DX has been around since 1999 and in the startup world, that's, that's eons. So why has it been around that long? And do you think now reflecting back that an entrepreneurial approach to the problems that Visual DX hopes to solve is and was the correct approach? Um, <laughs> what your, your question isn't precise of me. So is the correct approach so that Visual DX goes public and it's made a billion dollars or is the correct approach to have real world impact, right? So, and to make money, to be a profitable company. And so you, you have to make choices. And certainly, you know, you, you could become 
morph your company and just become uh, an, an advertising company. Or you can decide, I'm going to make money trying to do the right thing. And that's hard. You know, the economic forces are very, very different from doing the right thing when, you know, you're, bill, you're billing in America in a fee-for-service system, which means that quality is not rewarded. Speed is rewarded. So there's often an inverse relationship between speed and quality. And so the, the economics of American healthcare are around speed and churning through patients. That's the economic force. And so, you know, physicians are really unhappy because they didn't become a physician to become a mill. They became a physician to help people and listen to people. And so in that context, I think we've done exactly what we should do. I never thought it would take so long to get to where we are. And we have a lot more work to do, but uh, we're making incredible progress right now. We, um, not only technically with like machine learning and the research we're doing now with large language models, but in terms of the adoption, we now have over 110 medical schools teaching with Visual DX. We have um, incredible success stories. You know, I was just up in Vermont and told the story of a family physician during residency, family medicine resident, that a patient was admitted for fever and a rash through the hospital. The ER didn't know why the patient was so sick. And using Visual DX, the family medicine resident um, figured out the patient had bacteremic Lyme disease. So in bacteremic Lyme disease, you can have multiple patches all over your body. It's not a single bullseye. Of course, through memory, we teach students memorize this spreading bullseye. We don't say, oh, and there's an exception, lots of patches if it's bacteremic. And this family medicine resident figured this out 10 years ago. This is a case from 10 years ago I was just sharing with the residents that are in training now. So we've been having that kind of impact for years, and it's snowballing. We're starting to get these stories, and we're starting to see people say, I love Visual DX. I use it all the time. Are there things that we're going to make better? Of course. Do we need to really innovate with the language part of large language models? Of course. But you have to, in medicine, it can't be just a black box where you say, oh, well, ChatGPT came up with the right answer. Well, how do we know it's not biased? How do we know it's not hallucinating? How do we know it's right? Right? So what we're trying to do is really uh, stay true to core values, which is keeping the patient first, trying to be highly reliable and taking care of people. Mm -hmm. And to finally wrap up the conversation, um, I offer a chance at the end of all the conversations for the guests to plug anything that they would like to. Is there anything that you'd like to highlight to our audience? Well, if you have anywhere from a student all the way up to a practicing physician or a faculty member, uh, Visual DX, um, you can get a free trial. You should reach out to us because there's um, such a thirst for professional information and to level that playing field. Your patients have Google. You all should have a professional tool. And uh, Visual DX has a peer-reviewed editorial board. And I would argue it has the highest quality professional images so that you're not hunting and pecking around Google to see inaccurate images. You're actually getting highly reliable uh, imagery. So that would be my plug. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.